Welcome to the Wedge Gallery Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Tyler Martinez. Today, we're speaking with Folly Feast Lab. Folly Feast Lab is an experimental design studio based in Los Angeles, co-founded by Yara Fagali and Vivian L. Mati. In today's conversation, I speak with Yara and Vivian about their work and background, design education, the use of ARVR in architecture, and film directing. Yara and Vivian, uh, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Hi, Ryan. I hope you guys are doing well during this pandemic. Um, have you guys been staying busy or is it, has it been a different pace for you? Um, I think it has varied like from the start of the pandemic to now. In the start, it was a lot because we were about to start our last quarter at UCLA. So it was a lot of adapting to remote learning and then it calmed down a bit during summer. Um, but right now, I think <laughs> we are be really busy these uh, few days because we're wrapping up many projects in parallel. So it's been busy. Hopefully, in a month, it will calm down a bit. Just to give some context, could you maybe just tell us a little bit about Folly Feast Lab and the types of research you're producing? Yeah, we would love to. So we are Folly Feast Lab, and we create visually-led, immersive, and interactive experiences. Um, to address present social and urban theme, um, it's uh, our little studio is uh, co-founded by Vivian Elkmati and myself, Yara Fegali. We try to basically kind of like uh, use technology to speak about mainly like kind of it's very uh, human centered. So we kind of try to pick a specific urban context that we find extremely interesting or it's related to a, like a, a subject that we've been dealing with. And I think uh, an example of this, like our recent research has been around the Mediterranean Sea and especially specifically the e-waste. Also, we maybe have four main themes that we always form different categories that we always work with. Uh, the first one is what Vivian just mentioned, the social one. So it's centered around people, around social condition, around so social stories. Um, we usually focus on the Middle East because we're both Lebanese and we uh, feel that there's a lot to uncover and uh, research there. Um, the second is urban and urban, we mean that we use a, a real context. Uh, this is also why in our technologies we use photogrammetry because we like to always be close to a physical uh, reality. And the third team would be um, the technology of uh, virtual reality. So we work in VR and the last I would say is simulation. So we use artificial intelligence and uh, game engine to simulate uh, different behaviors within these environments. Such exciting and interesting research, uh, especially now in, in 2021. Um, so you guys are both Lebanese. Did you know each other prior to moving to Los Angeles? Yes, we did. We knew each other from university in Lebanon. And then we went to Frankfurt to study there. And then, yeah, lastly, that was our kind of like last stop. We're in LA right now. <laughs> so were you guys having the same conversations then as you are now, or has it changed Yes, yeah, that's an interesting question, actually. I think it changes. I think we have become uh, way more kind of like socially involved than we were before. I think we were mostly, I mean, we're still very kind of like, we try to kind of incorporate aesthetics and technology in our work. But I think the kind of like where we're more focused right now on the social impact of it has 
I would say like is a big change. Yeah, and I think, you know, since we moved so many in different places and we had different education in those places, uh, it definitely influenced the way we think about architecture and maybe coming to the U.S. and, you know, the past two, three years have really influenced the way um, focused our intention, as Vivian is saying. So it's the same tools and uh, techniques that we have developed and interests, but I think we have been really focused on social problem and uh, centered around for us, of course, from our background, the Mediterranean um, area. And so I think I would assume architecture in, let's say, Beirut is very different than architecture in Los Angeles. Um, yes. <laughs> and so like the traditional definition of architect I guess in some ways you guys are kind of challenging that status quo. We, yeah, we are. I think we are. I think we would say we come from architectural backgrounds. And I think we've kind of like taken this. I, th I think Yara might be a little bit still more in this context. So she, Yara deals a little bit more with the architectural problems as in spatial. And I do kind of try to be a, to kind of involve more technology in this and see how we can recreate our like Especially, I think now it kind of fits perfectly with COVID because I, we usually try to recreate the physical experiences virtually. And how do you actually communicate with other people? How do you talk about those? How do you have like a forum or that, that's usually kind of super physical that has a specific space around it? How do you have it in VR? Yeah, it's funny that you pick up on that, Ryan. Like I've never thought about uh, how the work we do would be understood or would be interpreted as architecture. Uh, back in Beirut and I think yeah it's really funny to think about because uh, where we started you know is this um, uh, bazaar education of the engineer architect so we have really strong uh, base like core understanding of structure and mechanical and things like that but what we do today of course <laughs> is very far away from that even though I think uh, this main education influenced the way uh, our whole path or the way we think about these spaces. And I think it also helps us kind of create systems mostly. It's like um, we, the way we design the systems for our words. So the way we design how the circulation works in our environments, how, how do we bring energy into our environments? How do we bring like uh, electricity, water, all of these, I think is mainly influenced by this. And we take this, we take this like a uh, kind of like knowledge and just push it further. Like what would it be? And like, like the world building you'd say is influenced. Yeah, and this, I mean, this world building, especially as a kind of AR, VR application or discussion, um, I, I would assume the pandemic has kind of increased our willingness to work and live in a kind of digital environment, especially with this social distancing that's taking place. I mean, would you, would you agree that this is an important moment for this type of maybe digital landscape conversation? Yeah, I think so. Yes, I definitely think so. That's where, what I would say. I think even if our, even if it, it was like before the pandemic, it was more of an interest and kind of trying to replicate it. I think now it's somehow became like kind of crucial to replicate it. And it became like way more important to just have, because I want to have conversations with people. I want to still have this like feedback. I want to have the it's society yeah, and create like a kind of a, uh, like a, an empathy on over, over kind of like uh, related themes. And I think that helps a lot just to recreate this experience. Yeah, maybe it's like a test, like it pushed, it fast forwarded uh, uh, living in a virtual space and what are the benefits and what, what are the you know terrible sides of it. 
uh, but it's definitely a challenging, like it has def this pandemic and remote teaching and learning and remote working has challenged the idea of virtual space and how one would inhabit and use these type of technology to, uh, you know, pursue the same type of work we're doing before. So for example, in uh, curriculum, we see like a very uh, suddenly all curriculum became extremely flexible and we see the introduction of asynchronous and synchronous teaching. Uh, we understand different speed of learning, you know, technical classes have tutorials that are now uploaded online. Anyone can watch at their own rhythm. So I think there is, um, there, there is a flexibility and there is an adaptation of education to uh, a people-specific learning. So it's uh, not everybody learns the same way, but everybody has the flexibility of uh, learning on their own speed, you know, re-watching this tutorial many times or being able to not always have to raise your hand, but you can text and write and someone will answer you. Like there's different means of, there's a variety of means of communication which allows for uh, the diversity that uh, in our students, in our um, work environments, so that everybody can express themselves through these different means. Yeah, we're, we're definitely transitioning to this kind of asynchronous learning environment where people can kind of come and go and learn on their own pace, or I guess repeat things over and over again, which seems really fascinating. I mean, Yara, I know you're teaching at UCLA. Do you think this is going to stick around after the pandemic is over? I think some things uh, that, you know, seem more practical to do via uh, asynchronous and synchronous teaching would stick around. I mean, even though before we were still having, uh, you know, we had in place the systems that you would record the classes before you record things and leave them online for students to have access to. But I think if that technology felt um, different or felt other before today everyone is very comfortable at using all these different tools so i think i hope some of it will stay i hope you know we learn something from this period and we don't go back to the way uh things were um because the way we teach now i think there's more agencies for students to decide their own path to take more classes um, the fact that not only ucla but a lot of different schools have their lectures online everything is way, um, there's more uh, shared information. Um, at the same time, you know, for a UCLA, which is a research school, if we want to access archiving, um, archiving uh, places, it's really hard right now because of COVID. So I think there's a win and loss, <laughs> but I hope that after we, um, it has influenced the way we teach, but also uh, the pandemic as, as, um, uh, you know, as uh, it not only influences, I think, the way we teach, but it also influences the spaces we live in. So it would influence the way we teach in a conceptual way too, right? So right now, for example, we're working with a simulation in our studio with Greg, uh, Greg Lynn. We're working on how to rethink spaces for a post-pandemic world. And this includes, you know, how to rethink different types of functions and different, like from offices to retail, to recreation, to education. How do you rethink all these spaces with the new rules of a post-COVID-19 world? So I think it influences not only the way we teach, but what we teach, like the content of what we teach. And, you know, the pandemic is not only, um, I mean, there's also a really important event that happened at the start of the pandemic, which is um, the which is the rise uh, of demand for social justice, which I think also has influenced the way we teach, the content we teach, and is super important. Now, hopefully this you know, diversity that we are seeing now 
really um, gets anchored even more in the program and what we teach him in the content. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I've been on reviews uh, at the Ideas Campus for UCLA a couple times, and what I find fascinating about it is that a lot of the research is practical in the sense that it could really transform society. And I think what's interesting about this moment is that instead of the institution creating something and projecting it out, that the world has trans transitioned uh, drastically that now it's projecting back into the institution. And so I'm thinking, I mean, I know Vivian, um, you are doing some uh, R&D for Google for the kind of built environment. Is that, maybe that's like a, a counter to what's happening in the academic context that these kind of corporate companies and also the public is really transforming uh, physical and digital spaces. Yeah, no, I agree completely. It's been like a kind of something I've been saying recently. I feel like 10 years ago, we would say like the new things, everything. I mean, Facebook came out of universities. Everything comes out of universities, but somehow it's kind of shifting. And I feel like right now, big, I don't know if it's, if it's something to worry about or not. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? But there is a kind of like, it's, it's a fact that right now it's corporate that are kind of leading leading us to where the future is and kind of like you know a lot of academia is trying to pick up so a lot of academia now are trying to use uh, game engines a lot of academia are trying to use kind of like cinematography methods so they're trying to kind of use everything that's already in the professions and try to incorporate it which is kind of it's a, it's a big shift i would say and i think it's it's an interesting shift because um it might it might say something about the way we teach. Maybe kind of like corporate are being are listening more to the social and mm. more than the academia. And academia are still trying to be basically kind of follow up because they already have like a curriculum set up. They already maybe it's easier for corporates. I'm not sure what I kind of like if if I if I'm if I'm like uh, more with it or no but i think it's it's definitely something that's been happening recently and it's interesting yeah and i know um you're i've been on a couple of your reviews at ucla and um what kind of techniques and like software are you guys currently using in in your courses yeah you know um in our courses in my courses at ucla i use most of the tools that we use together in fully feast lab so we use game engines like Unity, and we work with artificial intelligence, machine learning, and we use simulation to, um, to see the behaviors of different people in different environments. So I would say, you know, and last year uh, when we had the pleasure to have you uh, at our review, we're using also photogrammetry. So I would say like it's similar tools that we use in our practice that I bring to studio. And because I think these are contemporary and crucial tools for students to um, you know, get acquainted with, start to work, start to understand, start to um, see the limits and how they could use them in different ways. So I always try to include in what I teach, what we're doing in our practice, so what we believe in. I think going back to this conversation we were having about Beirut architecture versus Los Angeles, or maybe traditional architecture careers versus a kind of visionary uh, challenge the status quo. It seems like these these tools and techniques, whether it's a, you know a game engine or some type of a ZBrush or point cloud scanning or whatnot, that these these courses are really kind of challenging the conventions like orthographic drawings or tr traditional model making. 
right? Um, which, I mean, what do you guys think that does for design education? Um, is that is that something you're trying to pursue? Is to kind of like rewrite our our traditional notions of architecture school and these kind of practices we've had for so many years that maybe it's time to use new software, new techniques? I, th I think that's a very interesting point that you bring up. Um, so I feel like, for example, if there are, there are some constraints with the software that you're using that basically might have not existed otherwise. So for example, you're speaking about Zebra specifically where basically kind of creating like a Cartesian, like a, just a, a box is way harder than creating an actual organic form. So I think that drives a lot the forms and shapes that we've been seeing recently. And for example, when I would speak like from game engines, I would say like, for example, if you're doing something, if you're doing something that kind of like requires to be played on like a laptop or just a simulation that you're gonna, you're gonna have to use a lot of low qualities, you're gonna have to use kind of like minimize the like uh, minimize the kind of exaggeration in the design which i think kind of like also that's why we've been seeing a lot more of kind of like the low quality aesthetics around like uh, architecture so i think yeah that's a very interesting thing and it mainly comes from the constraints that we're having with software so i think what we've been trying to do i think we, tr we did one for yara's uh, exam mm -hmm. at some point which was basically let's try to create a little bit of our design tool so like instead of going inside a design software or like instead of going into zbrush let's create like a kind of a small uh, a small tool that basically people would just bring in their objects and kind of try to create a space with them and it, it's mainly to say let's try to create our own constraint uh, our mm -hmm. own constraints and design around them yeah, so using Game Engine, yeah. for example, for every project we do, we actually build a whole, uh, a whole framework, a whole system that acts like a software that we use to design the spaces. Yeah. So there's, uh, I think there's that. And, you know, coming back to the orthographic discussion, it's been long overdue. Uh, you know, the tools we've been using in architecture as Rhino, Revit, all of these has a ver have very different understanding of drawings and and um, line weight, which, you know, come from the time where we used to draw on paper. And this is very different now, now. And so many brilliant people have written around images and the role of images today and how that changed. And I think our take on that is that, um, of course, we live in a world of images and of uh, signalization and com uh, communication. But what we're interested in, and this is why we use VR technology, is because VR involves the movement of a body in space. And uh, the same way behavioral um, studies and, you know, using simulation and uh, artificial intelligence also works with the movement of things in space. So we're really interested in uh, talking about three-dimensionality uh, versus the flatness of an image. Uh, so aesthetics are important for us, of course, but it's also really crucial that uh, our spaces are immersive and are experienced physically through your own body in motion in a space. And there's a sense of relationship from one, one's body to the space that you're in that is very different from a finger on a mouse or a, you know, a, a digital pen on a screen. There's a completely different relationship uh, in using your whole three-dimensional body to move in a three-dimensional space. But is this, you're saying this is like with a headset, right? Like an immersive uh, experience? Yes. 
Yeah, but you know, the headset tracks your hand, it tracks your body movement, like headsets are getting even more advanced. I mean, mm. you're working with the uh, headsets. Um, you know, when we work with headsets, we also use different, uh, different uh, tools that come with them uh, that makes you see your hands movement, your body movement. There's uh, like gaming has this whole world of <laughs> tools that you can use while, while you're in VR. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's really interesting. Um, I think going back to this discussion about traditional tools like Rhino or Revit, I mean, a lot of the times, especially in the, the practice of architecture, right, the kind of profession of building right. buildings, the, the construction document set was this kind of, this tool, but also this legal binding document. And it seems now with, with software like Revit that the 3D model now becomes the kind of most important thing that you produce. And I think what's really interesting about this is it's challenging the definition of architecture as building being the kind of final product, right? Where instead maybe environments, digital environments become part of the conversation as a final deliverable within the discipline of architecture. Yeah, I like that definition because environment, you know, would involve moods, it will involve ambience, it will involve different elements that are uh, harder to grasp as easily as drawing. And you're right, you know, uh, students now, they design through 3D models. If you uh, want to see a plan for them, it's a cut through a model then which with a lot of Illustrator work, uh, Adobe Illustrator work on it so they can do line type and they can make it look like a plan. They can make it look like what we call a plan in architecture. But the way, the process that they're using to go there is actually through 3D modeling. Um, maybe it was uh, even with Revit, right? You do in the 3D space and then it cuts plans at different levels uh, that you can see in a plan or section. Um, so I think the way even students are thinking about architecture is totally different than, let's say, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I really don't think architecture is about buildings, any, just buildings anymore. I think it's, yeah. it's starting to, you know, like you said, um, find its way into video games or interactive design. Mm -hmm. uh, AR, VR, and it seems like a really important time within the history of all of this um, that it's taking place. Yeah. Also, like a lot of different practices emerge out of this. So now a lot of architecture practices are mainly to kind of like rendering kind of companies, or a lot of them are mainly game companies. And I think that's very interesting because right now it doesn't mean that if you go and have an architectural education that you're gonna go and build stuff. Mm -hmm. Kind of like it's it's a different thing right now because there's way more practices that kind of have been built around this. And I also find that kind of really interesting because if you go and see like real estate, you always kind of get this rendered image that's so beautiful. That's exactly what like the Revit model would have been or kind of like the the uh, vision of the architects of the building. But then it looks kind of like most of the time not really kind of similar to what the building looks like so i think they it's it's like having two different products and that's an interesting thing also but also i mean there's this conversation around like simulation or interaction right a video game or, or something like that versus maybe a conversation around visionary utopian or kind of manifesto tones mm -hmm. which i think maybe deal with with narrative and I, I don't know is there like a conversation between the two of you when you start a project as having this type of maybe a visionary or manifesto position on the work? I, I think we try to avoid that <laughs> usually. I think we, we try very hard. It's really easy. I think for us, especially coming from 
the background we come from, it's really easy for us to fall on this, to kind of like have an opinion already kind of like made up, have like what we want to do, how we want to do it. But I think this is why we try to avoid this. And how we try to avoid it is we try to avoid it first because we want more diversity in our work. We want more randomness. We want more equity. We want people to be kind of like, we want everything to be on the same page. We don't want to kind of force anything. And we have built our kind of like a, a system around that to kind of avoid that. So this is why we use like to, we usually, we usually to like we generate endless kind of simulations so that an agent can explore like uh, and deal with an ever-changing environment. So instead of like having the one path thing, we tell them, okay, this is the environment, try to go around it and see how you can do it. And I think movement helps us a lot with this. And uh, instead of having one scenario, we usually also try to have, in our work, we mostly do not work a lot of the time with like a linear kind of narrative. We try to have different small scenarios and kind of like have them around like what for example like uh, I'm going to speak about a like recent project which is Mediterranean Tea Diaries we can we know like for example like a mother with her child that are trying to work on the e-waste and kind of like get the material out of it and I think this little scenario in itself we just place it in the world where it would be and see how the see how the environment would adapt to this how the other society would adapt to this and this is super different than if trying like because if we were to put a manifesto on it or we were to kind of like force an opinion on it then we would expect the results and we love not to expect the results we love to kind of figure out something new that we didn't know about uh create societies that we didn't know could exist and i think this is like mainly our work is a research tool so we want to mm -hmm. instead of have instead of designing we're trying to kind of like research around the design. So we use a lot of like strategic approach to see how do we, how do we get results out of this? How to see what people can do, what they can't do and adapt. Instead of the manifesto, like, uh, um, like um, up to down logic, we use a bottom to up logic where we were more interested in the different narratives and the minute uh, little narratives that could create a larger uh, idea of a word. So we really study characters, different type of people, environment, uh, what objects means, what spaces mean, how they develop, what does it mean to live in, in for example, in Mediterranean uh, Sea Diaries, what does it mean to live on an e-waste land? How do you do, like, how would you do your nor normal day? You know, how do you wake up? How do you have your morning beverage, like how we imagine these spaces and how these different action would be. And as Vivian is saying, we also approach it with uh, strategical uh, thinking, which means that we use tools from uh, the world of strategy um, planning. And we uh, think about a lot of how this word is inclusive to different type of living, to different situation. And we would say that, um, you know, what we do is very the type of work we do the craft of going through these different tools using these different techniques the different concepts is like a transdisciplinary querying of um, all of these different tools and notions into our final world building our final uh, environment VR environments yeah and transdisciplinary um, has been a I think a recent conversation we've been having uh, in the in the creative disciplines and I think, I mean, listening to you guys, especially about, 
I think the narratives around your research are quite fascinating. And I think it relates maybe even filmmaking and, and directing. Yeah. Do you guys, do you guys consider yourself uh, film directors? Or do you, do, you, do you think about your work <laughs> through the lens of a film director? I think, uh, yes, we do, but I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think definitely, definitely yes. yes. There's, um, but maybe differently than the traditional sense, that traditional way you would think about it. But I think architecture, the way it's today, the way, the, the way we deal with architecture today, we have so much to learn from filmmaking, from the way, you know, you create a scene from one single point of view, the way you design a whole word that makes sense within itself, the way writers have carved, you know, narrative with very complex character, very complex story of spaces. Um, you know, when we say narrative and stories, we don't mean about people. We also mean about spaces, about an object. Like what happened to that flip phone in Mediterranean Diary? There's that flip phone that have uh, survived because it's a non-traticable device and suddenly its value has uh, risen. And then these people are going and scavenging for it in Mediterranean Sea Diaries and trying to look for that flip phone. So there's also the story of that flip phone. You know, there's this many narratives that don't belong to human agents only, but belong also to objects, spaces, to eras, to a different political movement. Uh, so I think it's really complex and it's a whole world in the same sense that movie uh, movies and, you know, directors could do. So I think, of course, I mean, uh, we relate a lot and we look a lot at, at movies and at uh, the whole domain as uh, inspiration for the type of work we do, would, right? Yeah, I would just add to this that like in films, there's usually sets and the kind of like the cameras are looking in one angle and you cannot really look around. Like, for example, we had like a set two days ago, right? In front of, the, of our window. <laughs> so like the people were just shooting over here. And so if you look around, you kind of see us, you see like the other people and just people living their lives and like downtown LA, which is probably not as charming as what they're filming, but their lens is only looking at this kind of like one set that they have built. And I feel like what we try to do is a little bit kind of to have those moments, but instead of having them in a kind of like, like uh, avoid seeing the rest of it is to have them next to each other so that you have like a full environment where you can move around and have different um, different kind of point of views or like different senses that are seeing. So yes, I would say one scenario would be as filming a, a, a movie, but then the whole thing would be as kind of like moving around in a, like a, a city that's kind of built up from different types of environment, different types of culture, mm -hmm. different types of sceneries, I guess. And this is why we use Game Engine, because we think it's a really powerful tool to simulate all of that, to be able to work in this digital environment. And, you know, we look a lot at the work of uh, Hito Sterl and Harun Faroki and their vision and their ideas on uh, concerning like Game Engines and how these tools could be used. And we also, uh, in terms of theory, we look at also a lot of um, technological feminist theory um, of course, going back to things like Donna Haraway, Cyber Manifesto. Uh, so I think we have like a diverse, a diverse references and interests, but the tools that we use to express them and the world we built are definitely within the realm of uh, movie making, filmmaking and direction, but a more immersed way. So 360 film set instead of having only one corner. And yeah, less curated, basically. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, because it runs on artificial intelligence. So also the space is being designed through this, uh, through this uh, agent also. And I, I encourage everyone to visit, uh, you know, your website, Folly Feast Lab or the Woodbury uh, Wedge Gallery website, which you'll have some work up. Because I think you have to kind of watch the, the animations and the, the films to really experience it, which I think is really uh, powerful because I think you guys sometimes use noise or sound and then there's kind of composition and things of that nature. But it is interesting to hear you guys talk about uh, the work through the lens of, let's say, filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess uh, just to maybe conclude for the, the conversation, I mean, I was wondering if you could give us some insight on what you're currently working on now in the office. Yeah, I think we did. So it's mainly Mediterranean Sea Diaries. It's our kind of like biggest project yet, I would say. It has started in like uh, different phases. So for example, like we did uh, Belonging recently, which was with the LA Forum, which was an amazing experience because instead of using VR, since right now it's basically, it's COVID, we don't want to put people in headsets. We don't want we cannot be in the same space. So what we've been with, we've done is basically and we, we really believe in shared experiences, so we don't want to give up this. <laughs> so uh, basically what we did is a, basic, is a kind of a drive-through where you would see an immersive projection that you kind of experience the world and people would just drive into this garage, watch it together and then go outside and you'll still be safe inside your car. Yeah, and I, I think this was a way of, for us to kind of like keep our like keep our vision to like have this shared experience and immersive experience, but at the same time be safe. And so, yeah, so what I'm trying to say is basically that there's no one format to kind of build this around, but yeah. Yeah, it's adaptive to the situation. So that was like an exhibition that happened last summer. Um, and um, the, the content of belonging itself is a story of a woman arriving to LA and looking for its uh, identity within the queer community. And it's a the visuals and the uh, scene where it takes place is a drive-through physically so someone would drive if you were to visit you would drive with your car in the room and look around and you would have these projected walls with the um, with the uh, content with belonging on them but belonging itself also is uh, is shot from uh, from a car so it's uh, like a drive a car driving through about 28 different residential houses in um, in LA but like different neighborhoods I think about 12 or 13 different neighborhoods and then there's different signs of uh, specifically the lesbian community because the lesbian community has a lot of um, you know subgenre so it has all these different significant uh, uh, signals that are spread around through the use of same tools you know simulation AI and um, you're walking down the street and there's music there's sound and the whole experience is a feeling of looking to belong. So that person, uh, the main character, which is uh, Amal, this woman who's looking to belong, to find signs of her community within this environment. So I think this was a work that emerged from the work we were doing already on Mediterranean Sea Diaries, but it was smaller and more site-specific and exhibition-specific because uh, LA Forum asked us to think about Los Angeles and uh, 2020, uh, but Mediterranean Sea is our larger project that we've been working on for uh, one year and will probably extend for one and a half or two years more because it has many phases and different format and we need to, um, you know, go to Beirut and shoot uh, a lot of building 
uh, take a lot of data from there, which of course, as we all know, has been impossible uh, for the past few, almost for the past year. Yeah, and I think that's some really, I mean, it's really exciting research you guys are working on. I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of the work. Uh, I think it's extremely relevant. And I, I really am looking forward to seeing, you know, in the next five years or something, where all this leads to, because it feels, it feels like we're in this, this kind of transitional moment, right, mm-hmm. uh, within the discipline of architecture. And it seems like uh, your project in particular is really, it, it really seems like the direction everything is, is going. So I'm wishing you guys best of luck. And I, I really can't wait to, uh, to see the work. Thank you. We're also super excited about it. <laughs> thank you, for thank you so much. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for, for taking the time to, to talk with us today. And, um, you know, I'll uh, make sure people visit uh, your, your website. It's follyfeastlab.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, hopefully maybe we'll catch up again at some point in the future to see how things are going. That sounds fun. Hopefully in physical space. <laughs> yeah, hopefully in physical space. Or VR. Or VR. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for today's Wedge Gallery podcast. The Wedge Gallery is located on the campus of Woodbury University School of Architecture in Los Angeles, California. You can find out more about the Wedge Gallery at wedgegallery.woodbury.edu.